how does integrating spirituality with business practices impact overall success? Join us today with Calvin Corelli. In this episode, he shares about his decision to change his name based on numerology, his profound insights from the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, and his journey towards self-awareness and financial stability. You will love this episode. Would you like to think and grow rich? If so, keep on listening. This podcast is dedicated to those who have found their way from fear to freedom and for those who are considering undertaking this amazing journey. This is the Courage to Be podcast, and I am your host, Tanya Vasayo. Before we get into this episode, I'm thrilled to share that I'm hosting a series on how people's lives have been influenced by the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. If you'd like to learn and apply how to think and grow rich, go to the show notes to get some wonderful free resources and join the Courage to Be community. I look forward to being your guide and mentor so you can transform your life. Welcome back to the Courage to Be, where we have powerful conversations to transform your life and your business. And we are continuing with this series of the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And today we have Calvin Corelli with us. Welcome, Calvin. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to meet you, Tanya. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, it seems to like we have you. so many things in common here. So yes. I'm, I'm pumped for this. <laughs> Because we started talking a little bit before the podcast and I'm like, no, 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 no. We have to record this. You know, you were telling me, so tell me a little bit about your story. You're Danish is what mm-hmm. I found out right before the podcast, but live in New York city. So tell us a little bit about your journey and, and what you do for a living and how you landed where you're at. For sure. Yeah. Born and raised Danish, like full bred Denmarkian, Italian sounding last name and, you know, I guess American sounding first name and live in New York city. So a bit of everything there. Yeah. I was into software and computers from a very early age. I was like, I had music. I had, I was like a very spiritual kid. And then I was into software and computers all at the same time as a kid. And then as a teenager kind of shut down the whole spiritual side of myself and that, which then came back in my thirties with full force, but I moved to the U S in 1999 because I wanted to study abroad. I was studying computer science at the university. Everybody studied in Denmark, and I'm sure it's the same in Spain. Like there's this EU project, so it's easy to transfer to another university. Everybody was doing a year abroad. For me, as a programmer, it didn't make any sense to go to Germany or Spain, no offense, <laughs> or France or something like that, right? It's kind of software. It had to be the US. And so I didn't know anything. I bought like a big road atlas to like, what are... She, what's Chicago? Where is that? And Los Angeles and New York, like kind of getting my bearings. This is pre Google maps. Right. So yeah. And then ended up in New York, in New York in 99 and started what I'm doing now is I have a software company called Simplero where we make it super simple for coaches and consultants and course creators to run their whole business in one platform instead of like most people, you know, are like end up with nine, nine different software platforms and then they have to make them all talk to each other and it gets very complicated. So that's what we saw with Simplero. And then I also do, I call it spiritual business coaching for lack of a better term. But to me, that was why I got into the software business in the first place. I was doing spiritual coaching with entrepreneurs. What I find is that every business problem is really a personal problem that shows up in business. And every personal problem eventually becomes a spiritual problem. And so I just kind of go right to the meat of it and and solve it there. And then that programmer brain of mine is really good at 
simple systems and just making it really simple for people. So that's kind of the combo in my coaching. Wow, this is great. And I wish I would have known of Simplero. We can talk more in detail about it because for the last several years, looking for that software, you know, that combines everything. But tell us a little bit about your name. And like you were saying, the Italian and the Danish part. And where does your name come from? Uh, it comes from, I guess, a list of names. I mean, sorry, was that when I met my wife, she had worked with a numerologist to change her name, like years before at a young age. And I certainly suddenly got into certain circles in Denmark where everybody had worked with numerology and changed their name and stuff. So it became, I don't know if that ever happened in Spain, but like in Denmark, it became a thing for a bit. And so I was like, I never really liked the name that I was given at birth. And like numerologically, some of it is terrible. And so I was like, you know what, let me do that. And hired a guy and he gave me some. So it's like, he's like, these given your current name, these are the numeric values. And this is what that would mean in how you, your life would be. And I was like, yeah, that sounds absolutely awful. And that sounds absolutely right. <laughs> it's pretty much how my life is. And then he's like, so here's what I suggest instead. And he gave you some new numbers. You're like you should have three names again. And like, it should be this value, this value, this value. And then you get a list of names that match that value. And then I was like, oh crap, like I'm actually supposed to like actually literally change my name. And I was like, that was the moment it dawned for me. I was like, oh, this is scary. So I sat on it for a year or something and then sat down with my wife and looked over the list. And then the name Calvin popped out for me. And it really stood out because I was like, oh, the 30th president of the United States was Calvin Coolidge. And he had that quote about persistence and determination, which you correctly surmised earlier. And it was like, let me see if I can pull it up here. So I should memorize it, but I haven't. Where is it? Here we go. So it goes like this. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more uncommon than unsuccess. No, nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Have you seen the, the movie, The Founder, about Ray Kroc and McDonald's? But that quote goes again in that movie um, again and again, too. But I was just like, for so many years, I was struggling, like really struggling. And reading that quote, I kept reading it over and over again. And it kept me going. It, it made me continue to believe in myself and like, okay, if persistence and determination is good enough for the president of the United States, it's going to be good enough for me. I'm just going to like, keep going, keep believing, keep believing. Right. And that's a huge thing. And I know thinking grow rich, we're both fans of thinking grow rich. It's a big deal in thinking grow rich as well. Right. Believing. Well, both of these, I love it. Thank you for sharing this, you know, of like the numbers. I love that you held on to this quote of persistence and that you used that moving forward because that's one of the principles that Napoleon Hill talks about too and think mm -hmm. and grow rich. Well, let me ask you first, what's your journey and your connection with Napoleon Hill and think and grow rich? At what point in your life? Did that overlap? Was that after you had already changed your name? You had already discovered this quote, you know, from Kyle and Coolidge. Like at what point did Think and Grow Rich come into your life? It came in, it came in fairly early, but I did not take it in. And I'm sure I'm not the only one um, that has that experience. By the way, the just to typo one, the other thing, 
the last name originally I did Calvin Conaway and then like my wife learned more about numerology and then it was like, no, we need to change it again. So I've changed it a total of three times now. I've changed my name a total of three times. And so three, I want to hear the three iterations then. What were they? Cal- so the original, the birth name was Las Hargapin. So like very different. Okay. Las Hargapin. And then it became Calvin Jeremiah Conaway. And then it became Calvin Jarrett Corelli. And then it became, now it's Sheldon Calvin Norbert Corelli. And so it's like, it's about the numerology and the numbers and all that stuff. But there was also, Corelli came about because we, we needed a name that nobody else in Denmark had, a last name that nobody else in Denmark had. So we literally had to invent it. So everybody's like confused about, because there's two R's and one L. And like in Italian, you would do it two L's and one R. So confusing, but it sounds Italian and I'm Danish. So like, but we settled with this and now like, I love it. My, and my wife's father actually ended up taking our last name, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so That is hilarious. How did she yeah. convince, did she convince him because of numerology? No, he's pretty, yeah, he got, she did not convince anyone, but he's like pretty on board with a lot of stuff, which is cool. Like most people get very stuck in their ways and they don't want to, like, even though like, oh my God, I see you were like doing all these things and it's really working for you. Most of you are like, that's great for like, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to feel good or, or whatever it is that happens in our mind. But he's really cool. Like he jumps on stuff and he moves, he changes. It's amazing. That is amazing. Let's go back to thinking for rich yeah, and yeah. how that came in. You said it came early on in your life, but you didn't really pay much attention. What's like you're saying no, to many so, of us, you know, yeah. we might've read it one time and put it on a shelf and forgotten about I, it. I read it and I took certain things for sure, but I didn't fully integrate it into my life. And like the concept of the mastermind I learned, I think that's how I heard about it from like, so this is mid 2000s, like maybe 2008-ish, late 2000s. I think that's when I heard about it the first time and read it. And I think that the whole, the title, like Think and Grow Rich, I felt was a little over the top kind of thing, right? And like, I think there's part of that European thing as well. It's like, oh, like, ah, don't, like, don't, especially Scandinavian, the law of Genta, don't think that you're too much or too smart or good or something. I mean, I had a lot of upper limits, a lot of like things that were keeping me down for years and years, but I took certain concepts, but I didn't study it. I didn't say make it my mission. It was actually not until uh, I have a good friend, Joe, who kept talking about law of success, which is, you know, another one of the great Napoleon Hill books. Have you read that one? Yes. This one we study, we here at the Napoleon Hill Institute, we study all of his different books. So yeah, we've yeah, gotten yeah, okay. through all, so of, them all of them on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So Joe told me how he read that book 13 times in one year. And then went down to like, just implement everything and start his first software company. And in four years became a $15 million business. So pretty remarkable. So I was like, okay, Joe, you convinced me. Like, so I went back. And so I read that book probably three times by now. And that's recently, that's in the past year. And that was the moment where I really got kind of the whole thing. I was like, oh crap, like this is really good. And there's so much, so much here. And there are certain things that I'm good at doing. There are certain things that I just wasn't doing at all. And so that was amazing. That was powerful. But the idea of the mastermind, the idea of the vision and the belief and the persistence, and those are some of the things that really stuck with me. Faith as well, right? Like, so throughout all the years, I've just like kept going, kept going, kept going. And like, hence again, the quote, right? Like, that's the thing when there's setbacks, like it's never been a question. 
of like, should I give up? It's like, no, like I'll keep going till I figure this out or I die or like both. That is amazing. When you said that some things you were doing by default when you read it again, you know, and you started seeing and others you started implementing, what were some of the ones that you were doing by default, maybe in, intuitively or instinctively? You know, you said that you were a very spiritual kid, you know, maybe mm -hmm. you were carrying faith throughout your upbringing and even coming, you know, becoming a young adult or coming into New York, like what were some of the things you were doing by default that maybe you didn't even realize? And what were the new ones that you started implementing when you read the book again? The desire has always been very sort of innate, natural for me. The vision has been like for a long time, not, I wouldn't say always, but once I started opening up to my emotional life again and, and able to feel and, and, connect with my intuition, I had some very strong vision of where I wanted to go. And that's remained true over a long period of time, over a decade and a half at least. And what I was missing around that was the detail and clarity of the vision. Like I needed to add more specificity to it. I didn't do that. I shied away from doing that. I was like, oh, I have like a vague notion and that's kind of enough. But what I found later is that the more specificity I add, the more powerful it is. One of the things I sucked at that I didn't do was savings. That's, I don't think he talks about it in Thinking Rouge, but there is one of the laws and law of success is the law of savings. I've been terrible at that, like reinvesting everything back into the business in stuff that many times didn't work out, like throwing away hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and stuff that didn't work. And when I dove into that, I found that there's part of it was just wasn't valuing savings. Like, and I think there's an entrepreneurial mindset of like, we're used to running like a pretty tight cash flow and like, like just keep investing, keep investing, keep investing. But what I found too, was that there is, it was linked to this deep lack of self-worth. Like, I'm not worthy of having money. I need to just give it away to someone or piss it away on something, whether it's useful or not. Cause it like, I'm not worthy of having it. And so I was like, I, when I saw that, I was like, hmm, yeah, that needs to change. But when I spoke with other entrepreneurial friends, it's pretty common. It's pretty common that we're just like, we're maybe good at earning money, but like not keeping it, not building up the wealth. I hear you a hundred percent with that one, Calvin. I can't tell you because I work mostly with women entrepreneurs, but with men. And I appreciate you sharing this part from a male side, because for me growing up in Spain, you know, a very patriarchal country at the end of Franco's dictatorship. So there were still, you know, like leftover remnants of a man is your financial plan. You know, my dad was, he comes from a family of seven brothers and one sister. So I always felt like men had it more together, like you guys had it more together. And so I appreciate you so much for sharing that you also went through this limiting belief, you know, of like not feeling worthy of it. And that, you know, like, oh, this is fascinating. We're going to take a pause first. Let me take a, a quick little pause and we'll come back to savings. How many times have you looked around at the people you love and realized I'm different? You think differently. You feel like your view of the world is different from the rest. You have a constant and consistent appetite for more. You want more success, more fulfillment, more energy, more mental strength, more deep relationships, more happiness. If you feel a longing for any of these things, 
then I'd love to have you to be part of the Secrets of Success Mastermind community. And don't feel like you have to commit to anything right now. I'm not asking for any type of contracts or anything like that. All you have to do is say, maybe, and test drive the Secrets for Success for free for 30 days and see for yourself. Just click on the link on the show notes because when you do this, your life might take a big turning point. So we're back. We were talking of not feeling worthy, making a lot of money, and you can reinvest it into your business. When you read that part, you know, and law of success, and you started realizing, wow, I have this limiting belief of it, you know, and I need to save, like what shifted? How did you go about with that, Calvin? What I saw was when I visualized myself truly having the financial wealth and the financial security that I wanted and even like health outcomes or other goals, when I really visualized myself having the, the full, complete, happy, joyful, successful life that I want, I got really, really sad. I had this like deep knot in my stomach and I wanted to throw up. I was like, ugh. And I was like, what is that? But for me, that like those things that I at a conscious level wanted in my life, or desired were linked to a feeling of like failure and rejection and almost death. It was like, if I live this way, I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to have connection with anyone because they would look at me and they would feel insecure or I'd be better than them. Or like it would create this distance and I couldn't be have intimacy with people. If that was true, I felt like I would be abandoning and disloyal to the family I come from to my family, because in my family, that's not how we live. We're pretty successful, but not totally successful. We're pretty good health, but not great health. Like we're, it's just like, it's a different level. And, and like it would create, I would be abandoning them because that, that's how we are. And that's who we are. And that's how we relate. And you're not allowed to break that, all that stuff in my mind, but it was there keeping me like sabotaging. So I'd be like, Yay. And then like things would be going good. And then I'd do something dumb to pull it down to piss away money or do something stupid that didn't do anything. And I was like, that's, it's time to change that and really value myself. And every dollar that I save that I don't spend on something is a dollar that I give to myself, that I invest in myself, in my security, in my future. And I'm worthy of having a secure and calm future, not just for me, but for my family. And like be able to live, leave that legacy. That's so like, I'm worthy of that. The, we can only receive the value that we see ourselves having. So when we see ourselves as, as being worthless, which I have done for most of my life, like beyond below worthless, like negative a billion worthless. When that's how we feel, we can't really receive value because we don't have the container for it. That is amazing to me. And again, you know, like I commend you for your vulnerability and sharing with us, because when I see you, you know, as like founder of Simplero, you know, like I'm sure you have a gazillion followers, your business is going great, you know, like from the outside in, we're all seeing like this successful Calvin, you know, everything that's going on, but it sounds to me like the moment you started looking inward, it's a different kind of success that you're generating for yourself. You know, of just like, okay, here's my worth. Okay. This is how people are seeing me. So how has that changed for you now? Like what's the new vision you were talking before about your vision? Has that vision shifted throughout 
these years? Like, is it a different vision now that you see yourself more worthy of it? No, it's remarkably the same. It really is. That's the fascinating part is that the difference is now I can taste it. Now I actually believe it fully. Before it was like, I could see it and there's a small part of me that would believe it, but then there's this bigger part of me that wouldn't, that would be dragging, that would be like, not on board, not committed, that would be no, you can't, you're not worthy. You know, it, this is not allowed. Now I look back and I'm like, dude, I had it 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Like in 2008, I sat down deep crisis, just bought a house, just had our second kid, couldn't afford the mortgage. It was like insanely expensive. And there's some technicality and like 2008 financial crisis, like all of those things. And I was doing freelance programming, um, found a bunch of different gigs and they all just crashed. None of it panned out. The one client I'd had for over a year, steady income, making 10, 12K a month, just me programming. They called me up and said, we've outsourced your job to India. So bye-bye. And I sat down one night, I was alone. Wife had said they're taking the kids away somewhere warm. We were in that house, no heating, boxes everywhere. It was all new. There's still handymen working every day. And I was like, okay, God, universe, life, whatever's up there. Like, is this you trying to say I should sit down on my butt and figure out what it is that I'm here to do? And I was like, yes, that's the freaking point. Okay, let me do that. And so I sat down and I asked myself a bunch of questions. Like, what did I love to do as a kid? What did I dream of doing? You know, as a kid, we always dream of like, when I get grow up, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this, those things. Like, what were those things? What were the moments that I cherish and remember and that where I felt like really alive during my childhood and like things like that. What kind of activities fill me up? So I wrote all those things down and then it just hit me. It landed as a complete picture. I'm here to integrate spirituality and entrepreneurship. And at that point, the spiritual side was brand new. I think the year before, or maybe around a year before I'd started working with a spiritual teacher. And at first I was super skeptical. He's someone that was a, a close friend of Eckhart Tolle and sort of that tradition. So it was like all about like, well, teaching me about how conditioning works, but then like just ha- helping me tune into the sensation in, in the body and just going from there. Like, oh, what's that about? Let's explore and dive into that. And it was like coming home. It was like, oh, at first I was so skeptical. Like, oh, this is weird. This is scary. This is wild. But then the more I worked with him, the more I was like, oh, this is who I am. This is reality. I was just confused. And so I could see how everything that I'd learned up to that point, I'd kind of been on the journey for about five years at that point. Everything I'd learned from the spiritual teacher to therapy, to coaching, to body therapy, to all the different things were super relevant for every single entrepreneur out there. We all struggle with the same stuff. Every entrepreneur struggles with self-worth or imposter syndrome or limiting beliefs or negative self-talk or self-hatred or like regrets in the past or, you know, fleeing into the future or worries or fears. We all suffer from the same things. And so I need to help other entrepreneurs with this. So I need to practice it myself, have my spiritual side, like at the center of my business, of my entrepreneurial journey, be on purpose, do my inner work emotional healing, trauma, all that, be present, beliefs. And I need to practice that. I need to be the model and teach from experience. That was in 2000. And it took me 15 years till it really started clicking for me. And But the vision that I had 
back then was spot on. I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to teach others. I'm going to be an example. And I'm going to be an investor that invests based on this thesis where I can work with the founders on their inner growth and their outer growth and all of that. And I mean, it's held true for 15 years. It's just that I wasn't ready and I didn't fully believe it. And I didn't fully embody it until now. That is amazing. Thanks for the details of the journey, you know, of how that vision has always been there, but how you had to integrate certain parts. Let me ask you this. It sounds like you're very left brain, you know, with the coding, but then you have the right brain, you know, your intuition, your creativity, your spirituality. How do you balance both? You know, do you consider yourself 50-50? Do you consider yourself more of a problem solver? How do both of them come together? I, I think by design, that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, there is a reason we have left brain, right brain, right? And there's a reason that we're spiritual beings in a physical body. So it's really kind of the natural way. I think I have tended to be way over-reliant on left brain. That's what I kind of growing up, that was my survival. It was kind of like my dad was the businessman and the programmer. He's the one that taught me to code. They're actually both business people. Like they had their separate, my dad had a company that he bought and grew dramatically. My mom started a company from nothing. And grew that to 50. My mom started a software company in 1980 and grew it to 50 people. They're both programmers. So it wasn't like, but in my mind, it was like my dad was the business guy and my mom was the spiritual person in my head. I'm a kid, like, you know, wow. five years old, whatever. Like we're not conscious, right? We make up stuff. So that was my making up. And then my dad has this temper. So he would beat me and he would get really angry. And whenever that happened, my mom would get scared. Bless her. Like, they're amazing. I love my parents so much. They're the best parents I could possibly have had. But my mom would get scared and retreat and not protect me in that case. And so in my mind, that became spirituality is useless. When push comes to shove, spirituality is no good. And so I shut debts outside down and learned to rely just like, I don't need anybody. I can figure this out. Like just shut down. Don't feel a thing. My family was all about not feeling, not recognizing emotion. Everybody has feelings, but we just pretended like we didn't. And then we would go around saying stuff that like, like trying to get other people to change their behavior. So I don't have this feeling without revealing the fact that I have a feeling like it was like, oh, that really hurt. Like nobody said that. <laughs> nobody said that. So that was the way I learned to really rely on that left brain. And then I kind of swung into when I got back into spirituality, I swung into like total, like Zen, like very, very feminine. Because the other thing that happened was, even though I was like, okay, dad and like that business and logical, that's, I can trust that. But the spiritual and the emotional and stuff, I can't trust that. The other thing that happened was I was terrified of my dad. So I didn't want to be like him. And so instead, like, and this is contradictory, but this is all unconscious, right? So like, as a man, I didn't want to be like him. So I wanted to be more like my mom because she didn't. Like she made me feel safe and, and connected and connection and love and intimacy is very important to me. And so I started to be like her to the extent that in my first marriage, I literally played the role of my mom. And then I projected my dad onto my wife and which is not a good combo. And so it was only six, seven years ago that I realized through a mentor of mine that my masculine was still stuck at a five-year-old and he needed help growing up. So I needed to go through a whole process of reparenting 
that little boy that was hurting. So what happened was I, I grew a very strong feminine and that whole spiritual intuition and like all of that stuff got so strong. And then I would just be like, I'm lying in the bathtub and visualizing. And like the way I'd show up as a CEO, as a boss would be like, we'd do an all hands call every week. And I would maybe be there, maybe not. Cause sometimes like just got so lost in like making music. And I had this long hair and like, yeah, I'm just like, Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot we had a call. Like, yeah, you guys just like show up and do what you feel like. Like we just, this is kind of what we're doing. Here's like the vision. You guys just do whatever you feel like. And like, I thought I was like the best boss on the planet, <laughs> but it turned out that they were terrified. They were like, I have no idea what's being expected of me or what I'm supposed to do if I'm doing a good job or not. Like, so that was the whole process of learning the masculine side of being a leader, being a husband, being a relationship, being a dad, all of that. And so it's like, I feel like now it's just become natural because I have access to the masculine and the feminine and the logic and the spiritual. And so I, I can pick the tool that I need at any given moment. Yeah, I don't even sure that there's like over-reliance on logic or over-reliance on the spiritual. I think it's, I think it's a pretty good balance. That is awesome, Calvin. And your level of self-awareness is incredible, you know, of just realizing what you went through, you know, and I know it sounds like you've had different mentors that have helped you along Tons. the way. But some of them is, dead, like Napoleon Hill. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's great that you can see this, you know, because I think you would be such an incredible leader and teacher for many men of our time. Sometimes I talk with my husband, you know, because I've always been focused on leading women and women's empowerment, you know, and he always tells me, but you're so good with men too. Like I saw you at school, you know, men get inspired with you. And I'm like, yeah, but that's their cause, you know, and men need mm -hmm. to figure it out on their own. And he's like, it's difficult, you know, for us men of this generation to figure out what it means to be a man. And as I'm hearing you describe this, I'm like, wow, you would be such an incredible leader to other men to be able to connect with their femininity too, you know, and be okay with that. Because I think I see your guitar in the background. You're saying that you were playing music. My husband's an artist. I think he's very connected with his feminine side, with his sensibilities, with his intuition, with his creative and spiritual side, sometimes almost more than I am, you know, like that's, mm -hmm. it's finding that balance. And so it's almost like giving permission with you just sharing this, Calvin. I think it's giving permission to many men out there that might be listening. So thank you for that. I just wanted to commend you on your self-awareness. And I want to tap into a little bit of intuition, you know, because you've been straddling both sides, you know, you knew how to, you went all into the spiritual side and, you know, this laid back CEO boss, what are some of your rituals to use these different tools in particular intuition? I'm just fascinated with intuition, but I'll start there. I have one really killer ritual, which is sauna and a waterproof journal. It's, it's I'm going to have to steal that one because yeah. I do love the sauna. I love journaling and I love my hot tub outdoors, but sometimes so, the page gets wet. I know. All right. So I, 
I've always been a sauna person. I'm from Denmark. We had a sauna in my house growing up. We moved to a different house that also had a sauna. I love the sauna. And for me, that was, again, it was a place of intimacy. It's this something very important about me that I realized just the past couple of months is intimacy is a huge driving force for me in business as well as in personal life all over. And you talk about permission before, like for me, having a mentor who gave me permission to own the fact that intimacy is what drives me in business and that's okay, was huge. I'm like, oh, that's allowed. That's freaking awesome. Let's go. I can do this, right? Versus like, no, like there's some business people who are like, no, like numbers and math and like all that stuff, which is great. I'm all for math and numbers and all that stuff, but that's not what drives me. It's not what gives me energy, right? So sauna has always been associated with intimacy for me. It was where I go. I have deep conversations with my dad or my brother or as a kid. And I would take notes and they would get wet, like you're saying. And then one day I was like, I wonder if someone has invented a waterproof notepad and I go on Amazon and lo and behold, they freaking did. And so this is one that I use called right in the rain. And then I'll just like sit in there and journal. Sometimes it's like business problems, software, UI things. And sometimes it's like more journaling, but it's always, what's beautiful is that you get in the sauna and because of the temperature, that overactive left hemisphere slows down a little bit and you get access to the deeper layers, similar to when you're going, falling asleep at night or when you're waking up in the morning. So those are the other two moments where like every night my aunt taught me this when I was a kid, always put your mind to work when you go to sleep, always give your mind something to work on overnight. I love yeah. that. Thank you for bringing that up. First, I'm going to go look on Amazon. I was like, did he invent the journal? But Amazon, oh, you come up with these ideas on Amazon, you know, you start finding that other people have already made them, you know, invented them. But I will go find myself that journal. That's awesome, Calvin. I love when I get little golden nuggets that I can go yeah. apply. And then, and, then because yeah. then you need a pen that works too. And so Ooh, the good. Fisher Space Pen, the Fisher Space Pen, which... As a kid, my dad, when I was 11 years old, my dad took me to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, and he bought each of us a, a Fisher space pen as a souvenir. And it's a pen that has pressure at the end, so it can write upside down. And the ink, it can write in space where there's no gravity, and it can write underwater when it's wet, so it works there. So you need one of those too. Oh my God. Write. I love it. We're going to put this in the show notes. Do you get any <laughs> affiliate? You should put it uh, in yeah. here for anyone that listens. Funny um, story is that the Russians also had the same problem of how do we write in space? And they just brought a pencil. Also, <laughs> That's smart too, but I don't like writing with pencil. I agree with, no, you know, like it doesn't work it's a smart move. Either. <laughs> yeah. I will get the Fisher space pen. That's awesome. I love where, where you were talking about the giving your brain, your subconscious mind, something to think about when you go to sleep. And especially because we're going into that, those alpha, is it alpha Delta? I don't know what states of the brain, but it, the it's subconscious Delta, mind is Delta theta. Yeah. Delta. Yeah. Thank you. Alpha, and alpha so, is the most active. Yeah. 
<laughs> I didn't know that in the sauna with the heat, it also lowers your brain, but that is a great I gift. I haven't measured it. I haven't seen data on this, but that's how it feels like, right? That's I agree that I have, with yeah. you. Yeah. And you have to find, I think for this is for everyone listening, you know, find those things that calm you down. You know, like to me, I just took a day at the spa on, on Wednesday here at 10,000 waves, which I love this spot and just spent the whole day sauna hot tub, sauna, hot tub. Then I'd go down to the meditation room. Then I'd go back to the sauna, to the hot tub. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get, a, I got a treatment, but auto suggestion. That's one of the principles that Napoleon Hill talks about, you know, and this is the mm -hmm. gift that your aunt gave you of like, when you go to sleep, what do you, what are you telling your subconscious mind? And yeah. what a great gift to give you as a young kid, you know, that you've been able to mm -hmm. use that moving forward. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, there's so many questions I have here for you, Calvin, you know, as you're peeling, I'm peeling the onion with you, you know, of all your tricks that you use. So we've covered intuition. What other mental capacities, like the higher mental capacities that Napoleon Hill talks about are intuition, imagination, willpower, memory, and I'm missing one more. It starts with an R. It'll come to me. But what other ones do you, because to me, those higher mental faculties that he talks about that we need to develop, you know, it sounds like you have intuition very developed. What other higher faculties do you like working with or that you might be able to give us some tips? You know, it might be with imagination. It might be with willpower, you know, going back to persistence. What other ones do you like? straddling with and that you might be able to give us some tips to anyone that's listening. One that's been huge for me has been the power of decision. And I don't know if that, like, it's not exactly willpower. I'll give you an example. So I used to smoke cigarettes, I used to smoke a pack a day. And I was, I was, again, I had so low self-worth. One of my friends looked so cool smoking. So I just had to smoke to be cool like him. And so I did. And then one day I decided that I was going to stop and I didn't want to be that white knuckle, like, oh, I wish I could have a cigarette, but I'm not going to have a cigarette. Like I wanted to be a non-smoker. I wanted it to be an identity shift and not a forced maneuver. And so it took a while for me to kind of work up to that and really like I would keep smoking while I really noticed what was going on. What is it that made me reach for that cigarette? How did it actually feel? while I was smoking, like before, while, and after. And then when I finally quit smoking, it was just a decision. It was just like, yeah, I'm done. And I did something similar with, I would keep, I would stay, you know, keep drinking for many years after that. And it was the same thing. You know, I was like, I'm just going to not drink for a year. And then I'll reevaluate at that point, but I'm going to take a year where I don't drink at all. And because I'd made that decision, it became super easy. I noticed how freeing it was to make that choice. It was a decision. There's no question. Before that, it was always, oh, should I have a glass of wine tonight or not? Oh, the others are. Maybe I should. I don't know. Am I going to feel like I'm missing out if I don't? What if I do? How am I going to feel tomorrow? Okay, I'll just have one glass. And I was like, oh, I'll have another. I'll have another. And then I feel bad for everything. Like, it's all this mental chatter that goes around drinking. And like, 
when I just decided I'm not going to drink for a year and it's not even an option. It's not even a question. There's like completely freeing. No, like, no, I don't drink. Like it's no problem. There's no issue. No, nothing. Nobody had anything to say other than like, I had one guy, I was on Necker Island with Richard Branson, you know, a bunch of entrepreneurs and they played a game between the guests and the staff of beach volley and they were playing back and forth. I wasn't playing. I was just watching. And then they had to take shots for every two points they lost or something. They had to, like everybody in the team had to take a shot. And at one moment I was sitting there watching and one of the staff is running past me with a tray going to get it filled up with these shot glasses. And he looks at me, he's like, you're lucky you don't drink. And I looked back and I was like, luck has nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, it's just a choice. You can make that choice. <laughs> but it's I so funny it. that we, <laughs> yeah, we make this, like we, contort ourselves in in these weird ways instead of just like if you want to drink drink it then decide to drink and don't feel bad about it right is that like yeah if i could go back to my smoking days i would have enjoyed smoking more because i was always smoking feeling like oh i'm feeling bad the about guilt it trip. Really yeah shame. exactly right like just fucking indulge and enjoy it knowing that when you're done with it you'll stop yeah, this is so brilliant what you're saying, because decision is one of the first chapters in Think and Grow Rich, you know, and so it's so important to not be in that energy and in that indecisive energy, like you're saying, you've described it so beautifully of like one foot here, one foot there, I'm not fully enjoying it, but then I have a guilt trip. And then when you just make a decision, like you said, whether it's to drink or not to drink or to smoke or not to smoke, whatever it is. The moment you make a decision, it becomes so much more freeing, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Then here's, because what I've noticed with human beings, it's very hard sometimes for us to make decisions because we can't see, there's all this uncertainty on the other side. Like, I'm sure if you were dibbling, dabbling, you know, with the whole, oh, well, should I quit drinking? But how hard is that going to be for a whole year? You know, what if I go to a party, you know, like you have all these unknowns. And so mm -hmm. we tend not to make decisions because we don't know how it's going to unfold. So my question to you would be, once you make a powerful decision, a committed decision, you're in that energy, how do you overcome or how do you override that part of the brain that's telling you, but I, I don't know how, you know, or, you know, what's going to happen. How do you deal with the how part of it? You know, because th that starts coming up, you know, like, how am mm -hmm. I going to solve it? Or, or even like for your big vision, you know, you had a big vision and it's like, you make a committed decision. You're like, I'm going to fulfill this. I just don't know how, but how do you override that part that that little voice that starts showing up inside, like, but I don't know. Is that going to be a good decision? Is it not going to be a good decision? What do you use to overcome that? I'm going to be snarky and say decision. So here's the thing though. When that voice comes up, it's because you haven't decided a hundred percent. You're not a hundred percent in, you're not a hundred percent committed yet. And that's okay, but that's what you need to work on. So it's like, you're not even considering that you're deciding. Like these are two separate parts of you. The part that decides is the clear part, your higher self that is going and saying, no, like the adult part that says, yes, I'm making a decision here. The mm -hmm. part of you that's like, well, what about, and what if I'm missing out or how am I gonna do blah, blah, That's the child self. And so the adult goes in and says, hey, I got this. I got this. You don't start arguing with the kid. You say, hey, I got this. I'm the adult, I'm the parent. I set the direction, we go, we'll figure it out. Trust me. I love it, yeah. 
And do you feel like the child side or the little voice is just all the fears showing up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the how will reveal itself once you've committed. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. 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 The how will always show up and it's not going to show you the whole path. It's just going to show you one step at a time. Let's take another pause. But if you haven't committed, you're not going to get a clear get path. Hell. It's not going to yes, show up. Yeah. Yes. That is so brilliant, Calvin. Oh, I love it. Let's take another quick little pause. And I want to come back to definite chief aim. How many times have you looked around at the people you love and realized I'm different? You think differently. You feel like your view of the world is different from the rest. You have a constant and consistent appetite for more. You want more success, more fulfillment, more energy, more mental strength, more deep relationships, more happiness. If you feel a longing for any of these things, then I'd love to have you to be part of the Secrets of Success Mastermind community. And don't feel like you have to commit to anything right now. I'm not asking for any type of contracts or anything like that. All you have to do is say, maybe, and test drive the Secrets for Success for free for 30 days and see for yourself. Just click on the link on the show notes because when you do this, your life might take a big turning point. Okay, so one of the things that I saw when we were in contact that you told me that you got out of the book is that you write down your definite chief aim two to three times and you read it two to three times per day. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what definite chief aim for anyone that hasn't, if you haven't read the book, it's just like, you, you should just pause the podcast right now and just mm -hmm. come back to it at another moment. But definite chief aim, talk to us about how you wrote it, how you crafted it, at what point that you start doing this and what reading it two to three times a day has done for you. What's the trick here, Calvin, for the success? For me, it was writing it down was quite easy because these are all things that have been percolating in my head for, for years and years. Like it's really stayed very consistent. I think the last big shift was 12 years ago, 11 years ago. In India on my birthday, we had, it was my wife had organized that we were walk, had a walk around this beautiful lake and she had a bunch of questions. And one of them was something to the effect of, if you could do anything, what would it be? Or something like that. I don't remember the question exactly. But what came out of my mouth was, I want to be a special advisor to the president of the United States on conscious nation building. And I was like, I have no idea where that phrase came from. I have never in my life thought anything remotely like that before. It just popped out of my head. And then I had, it was like tears of awe for 20 minutes. I was just like, I don't know, some energy came over me and this just popped out. And I remember that moment to stay and that phrase has stayed with me. So that's part of my definite chief aim. And so my definite chief aim was more or less just writing th down the things that were already in my head and that had been been with me and stayed there for years, including what I talked about before in 2008, what like integrating spirituality and entrepreneurship and the stuff around that. But I hadn't written it down in this concise format before that that's only recently that I started doing that. And then not just that, but I have a, a whole range of stuff. So I've got like maybe like two to three pages worth of stuff. I did Tony Robbins date with destiny in here in December, if you've ever been. 
Have you been? I have not, but it's on the bucket list. He is yeah. up there for me. Let's yes. go together next year. I might do it again. I'd love it. December. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it together. All right. I'm in. Decision. Oh, yeah. High five. <laughs> awesome. So I want to get my whole family. I went there with my wife. It's it's amazing. It's it's a life-changing event. It really is. Like, really. So one of the things he teaches is your primary question. The question that frames everything in your life and identifying that and then changing that. And he teaches you how to do that. For me, I had my primary question. What's wrong? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with this thing, with me, with you, with like whatever? I'd always find what's wrong. It's a terrible primary question to have. It's a terrible way to look at life. Like Tony says, what's wrong is always available. So is what's right. You know, when you look for what's wrong, you're going to find it. So the primary question that I have now is how can I enjoy even more of God's love and grace or God's love and guidance in this moment? How can I enjoy even more of God's love and guidance in this moment? Much better. So that's in there. And a bunch of things like that, that are just reminders to me. And so I review it first thing in the morning, every morning, last thing before I go to sleep. And then around like midday, around one o'clock. And I have a reminder, reminders to, to, for that. So I don't forget. And having that and just looking at it and feeling it and then visualizing it. I don't always spend a ton of time visualizing it, but it's still like, it's there. I take it in. I feel it doing that three times a day, especially right before going to sleep, right as I wake up in the morning, it just keeps connecting me with, this is why I'm doing it. This is where I'm going. I think most of, most people, I did this on a team training with my team yesterday. I taught them about the definite chief aim on my team literally yesterday and Napoleon Hill and the whole story. Most of them hadn't heard of Napoleon Hill. Some had heard of thinking real rich. Nobody had internalized or thought about definite chief aim. So just and no, very few of my team members had any clear sense of where they were going in life. And so by just starting to think about that and put it in writing and just like, here's what I want, here's what I'll give and by when, like it's such, it's so powerful and it's so simple. I share with them the Bruce Lee one. I'm sure you've seen that, right? I was just going to bring that one up. I have it it's somewhere amazing. here on my desktop. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce it's Lee's so is, you know, like in the 1970s, I will be the highest paid Oriental. I remember that always sticks with me because that's yeah. not the wording, but the highest paid Oriental actor, you know, with mar martial arts. And he gives the dates like Calvin's saying, mm -hmm. you know, that the dates, the time by when this will happen and how much money he will have acquired. And I think that's beautiful, Calvin, that you're, that you're bringing this in to your teams, to your people, you know, so, and especially if they haven't heard of this work, I just had on the podcast, Raven, Raven Blair Glover, she has created, you know, an empire in the podcasting world, you know, media world and stuff. And so she was talking about how she was introduced to Think and Grow Rich because of one of her bosses in a company that she was in and that that book saved her life at years wow. later. She was in an abusive relationship wanting to take her life away. And mm. she reverted back to this book that a boss had given her in one of her companies. Amazing. So the fact that you're doing that, you know, amazing. I just, I applaud you, you know, for having that impact in the world and leaving these things that have worked for you and passing it on to others. On that note, what do you feel? And thank you for sharing that you read this two to three times a day. So important to do it in the morning and in the evening. Napoleon Hill used to say, look in the mirror, read it to yourself out loud. 
And I love that you have an alarm that, you know, goes off. I'm going to implement that one too. I'm just reading it out throughout the day, you know, just like reminding myself because I do it in the morning and the evenings too, but not in the middle of the day. Speaking of this impact, what's the legacy you want to leave now, Calvin, with everything you're building, you know, being a dad now to your business, everything else, what's your legacy? There's two levels. The first that I'm focused on now is create a movement of millions of entrepreneurs who are bringing their gift to the world. I believe that entrepreneurs are the greatest force for good that we have in the universe, which is also why I love and Hill and everything that he's doing is in teaching, like he, not just entrepreneurs, but he took some of the greatest entrepreneurs of the time and, and it distilled the life lessons in his books and his laws. So being that proponent for millions of entrepreneurs all over the world to do the inner work so that they can become more efficient, effective in sharing their gift with the world. We all have something unique and special to share. I have a soft spot for entrepreneurs of, of course, being one myself. And so that means that the like coaching and the software and everything that I do publicly, many more people are going to be impacted by the stuff that I do as part of my public stuff and, and, and marketing than are ever going to be impacted by my programs and my, my products and services. And that's great. That's how it's supposed to be. Just making it really simple for people and that consistent application of inner and outer work. Right. We do the inner, we do it outer, but we need to do both. And we need to just be consistent and persistent over time. The next level is, I think as a society, we talked at the beginning before we started recording, right? About like, I told you about how I moved to New York in 1999 and I was like all cocky about, hey, yeah, Europe is so cool. And like America's like, you have commercials in the middle of TV shows. That was the thing I said to him, like, you guys are crazy. How do you do that? It's insane. Like, it's so annoying. He's like, he just looked at me and said, what does it feel like to be part of a dying culture? And he was like, oh, snap, <laughs> like Denmark, you know, Europe, like, you know, has that, like feels a little, a little stale, right? Since then though, that was 99. That was pre-2001, pre-9-11. America kind of feels a little bit like a dying culture. Like you guys need to get your shit together. I'm a huge fan of America and the, the vision of the founding fathers and the what I see as the American values and what America stands for. I am totally in, again, I'm so in awe of that. I'm so in awe of the people here. There was a reason why I chose to live in this country. There's amazing, amazing, amazing people in this place. That said, we're headed into winter if we're not already there. Like if you're familiar with the fourth turning, have you heard, do you know that book, right? So no, no? I have not read oh. that book. I'll have to I, I was listening to it as a, like the different seasons, you know, like when you mm -hmm. said we're going into the winter, it's, mm -hmm. you know, we're yeah. not in the summer or spring anymore. You know, we right. might be going. For exactly. Right. So each generation is different and it goes in cycles. So that's the, the point of the fourth turning is that we go through spring, summer, autumn, winter, and then comes spring again. We've just had autumn. We're headed into winter and then that's going to last a generation, 20, 30 years or something. And then we're going to come out and it's going to be spring. So it's kind of like, you know, a little bit like the roaring twenties back then. Right. And then we had the great depression, all that stuff. So I think things are going to be bad. Things are going to be, going to be really bad. Like we're, we're at a point where nation states all over are having trouble just like surviving the U S printing money. Like, like, you know, the only reason this U S is still kind of bubbling along, bumbling along is because they had the reserve currency. So not to get too deeper, deeper technical on that, but I think we're in for some really rough times. And 
I don't know if the nation state is going to survive or we're going to go back to like, you know, city king, like what, what was it back then in Italy, like Luca and Florence and all these places they are little like city kingdoms kind of thing, right? There are only little mm-hmm. things because like the state is there to keep us safe. And when it no longer can keep us safe from cartels and crime and stuff, like society starts to break down. What's going to happen? Well, I don't know. But what I do know is that we take care of our own mind and body and health and be strong. Then we can create communities of like-minded people and get together and figure this out together. So that's my bigger mission there is create a worldwide community of people who are consistently doing the inner and the outer work, building themselves up, their body, their mind, their spirit, their soul, and doing it in community and supporting each other to go through whatever we're going to go through over the next 30 years. Wow, that's fabulous. I love that. Even though being realistic and seeing what's there, still holding a vision for something bigger and better uh, for that There's legacy. There's always opportunity. There's always yes, yes. opportunity and growth and progress. It's just yeah. in pockets. Wow, this has been fascinating, Calvin. Where can people find you? Go to follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm most focused right now. So okay. it's just Calvin Corelli on Instagram. And yeah. If you're interested in in coaching, then just DM me the word coach and and we can talk about that. If you are a coach that's looking or a consultant, someone that's looking to build your online business, I shot a video the other day based on everything I've seen over 15 years and everything that I see working right now, just the simplest path for someone to get to consistent 10K a month as a coach. Very simple, very organic, natural way. So if you DM me the word 10K, I will... I'm glad you sent you that video. I like it. And we'll put it in the show notes too. We'll put your Instagram links so that people can connect your handle. As we're wrapping up, Calvin, what principle from the book, Think and Grow Rich, would you like people to take with them and to start implementing in their life? I'm going to go persistence. <laughs> persistence, chapter nine. Again, I took the name Calvin for a reason. Keep going. And like, of course, there's lots to it, but like, as long as you, I read an article years ago, an essay, there's an investor called Paul Graham. He founded something called Y Combinator. It's like a famous tech accelerator. And he wrote an essay titled, No Startup Dies Mid-Keystroke. And the point is that like startups may die, but like they may run out of money. They may fire all their employees. But as long as the founders are still typing away at the keyboard, writing code, the, the startup's not dead, Right. So it's only when you give up on it that it dies. So just keep at it and you'll get there. Thank you. Fabulous. What a great episode. Thank you so much, Calvin. I am so grateful that you joined me today. If you enjoyed it, there's one thing I'd like you to do. Click on the follow button so you don't miss a single episode. Leave me a rating and a review and please share. As my way to thank you, email us a screen grab of your review at the email in the show notes and we will send you a free Crafting Your Future guided visualization, which is so simple to do with outstanding results. It will empower you and give you the confidence to attract and create the life you've always desired. See you in our next episode.